good evening. It's 8.01 and uh, you're listening to One Chat Live episode 50. Um, thanks for joining us. Um, I'm going to try and remember this episode because I always I listen. I, I'm not going to lie, I do listen back to every episode because I, I just can't wait to hear the content again. But um, I do notice sometimes I forget that a lot of people are listening to this as a podcast. Um, and so things I bring up on screen, obviously, you can't see. Um, so there might well be some images tonight. So if you are listening on the podcast, excuse me if I don't explain what's on the screen. You've always got the option of watching it on YouTube, obviously, um, if you do want to see the images. But I know our guest tonight, I've got a few images to help explain. Um, so there you go. But I will do my best to to help people who aren't um, watching it um, yeah, to explain what's going on. So, yes, episode 50, as you might have seen, actually, it's uh, a memorable occasion. Um, because it's it's uh, our second year now. We've been doing this for two years. I say we, like I'm a big company. Um, it's just me. And um, yeah, two years old. And it's the 50th episode tonight. So happy birthday to me. Exactly. Um, I can't believe where the two years has gone. Incredible. Um, and that's an average of an episode every two weeks. So that's pretty good consistency in the podcasting world, I would say. Um, I just want to check, as always, we're streaming to uh, the running community on Facebook. So I would just want to check if someone from the running community can say hi, just to make sure that the, the stream is working in there. Um, it always is. It's fantastic. And my thanks to the running community for letting um, Run Chat Live stream to them as well as, as the Facebook page, because that's what Run Chat Live is about. It's about closing the gap between therapists and runners. I know as a therapist that there is a little bit of a feeling with the running community that, oh no, I'm not gonna go to the therapist, they're just gonna tell me I need to come back for six sessions. And I know that happens and I hate that. I want you to love therapists and to understand that, that that's old school. We now want to give you the tools to look after yourself, to send you away if we can, to make yourself sufficient. It's a brave new world and that's what One Chat Live is all around. So um, I like to try and help you see that through the guests I have. Um, so that's the idea anyway. Um, Let's have a look. Pedro's in the house. Hola, Pedro. Como estas? We've got Terry Vaughan. Hey, Terry, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us. If you do want to leave a comment or ask a question, then remember, in case you're not used to the show, then I can bring you up like that. Look at that, Pedro. You remind me of somebody in that photo. Um, so, yeah, if your comment can come up, you can get your little bit of fame there um, and so on. And Terry as well. Thank you for my birthday greeting, 50. Um, yeah, I won't tell you if I'm 50 or not. But, yeah, 50 episodes. It's cool. It's amazing. Um, towards the end of the show, at the end of the show, I'm going to give you a notice of um, a lottery we're running to actually get two 50% discount codes for the Run Chat Live conference on October 29th and 30th this year online. Um, I thought, how can I celebrate two years and 50 episodes? Give away two 50%. See, that's the way my brain works. So that's what we'll be doing towards the end. So do stick towards the end. Um, or if you're listening to the recording, then just fast forward and get the deal now. Um, very simple to enter. Um, but yeah, do have a look out for that. Thanks, Terry, for that. Who else we got in the house before I go on? Sarah Jones, good evening. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. What a happy photo. Look at that. Beautiful. Right. Uh, before I go on, let's uh, make sure that I give due credit to my sponsors. Um, let me just get rid of that solo. So as you know by now, not for all 50 episodes, probably about 40 four of them uh, my sponsors have been the brighton beard company if you see me actually sometimes watching the youtube videos to see the beard go down here and back up here and down here again is worth it um, i might put them all together to show the different beard styles of matt and 50 episodes but um brighton beard company have stuck me through stuck with me through thick and thin 
and um, thank you guys and it's still i recommend them obviously it's the products i use if you're looking for this will mean nothing if you haven't got a beard but if you have and you like that waft of oil or balm um, or the control it gives you or um, just grooming yourself we all do it so um yeah do go to the brighton beard company www.thebrightonbeardcompany.co.uk and if you do go there make sure you use the code rcl let's get rid of that text on there um, RCL15 because it'll give you 15% off any product at that uh, website. And I do recommend them thoroughly. Um, also, thanks again to the running community. Anybody in the running community yet? Don't forget to say hello if you are there. Um, don't feel afraid. Um, it's not all a room full of therapists. There will be some therapists here, but the idea is we learn how to get on together because we all want the same thing, believe it or not. Um, so do don't feel bashful just put up some comments there's no it's like school isn't it there's no question being a stupid question you can guarantee that someone else in the room's got exactly the same question you must have heard that before so please 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 the reason i do these is so runners in particular can ask our guests questions and if the guests are dumbfounded then that's fine the guest has to sort it out because the guest is working to help runners so that's kind of something which um, i'm very happy for you to do do ask questions um can't forget, obviously, last week's guest, Dr. Benno Nig, fantastic, um, fantastic set of downloads, as I would have expected. Um, it's on YouTube, obviously, and all podcast apps. I'm a total legend. Um, if you're not familiar with him and you're a therapist, well, you need to be if you work with runners. Um, if you are, it's a great opportunity, especially to have a look at. I purposely asked a lot of colleagues like Tom Goom, Simon Bartol, Jeff Escoulier, um, Courtney Connolly. Um, who else was in there? Uh, Nick Knight, Trevor Pryor, to give me some of the favorite papers, um, just to give a selection. Um, Trevor Pryor was kind of in Benno's good books all night because he was really pleased that Trevor um, highlighted this last paper here about the effects of isolated ankle strengthening. Um, Benno was just praising Trevor all night, so that was amusing. Um, but yeah, so if you want to like a little, there's probably about six or seven papers there chosen by other guests from the show. Um, which um, are highlighted on that YouTube thing. Um, so it's quite a nice way to have a look through Benno's career and, um, yeah, familiarise yourself with some of the papers. Useful, eh? There we go. Um, and it also talks about, like I say, his latest paper. Um, we all know about the carbon fibre plate shoes and what we're not so clear on is how they work or how much of the impact is from that as opposed to the foam um, or the stack height. So as we were talking about last week, uh, Benno has released a latest paper which kind of puts forward a hypothesis or a concept of it's all to do with the physics and he explains it in this paper which is open access you can have a look so that's on the episode as well boof look anyway um like i said towards the end we'll talk about the conference and an offer but i think i've left um, my guest for this week down in the lobby for long enough um it is uh, another huge name in research um i'm so proud and humbled uh, by getting these people because it really is getting the information from the horse's mouth, as it were. So Dr. Guillaume Millet um, is gonna be, if you look up fatigue, neuromuscular fatigue, to do especially not just running all over the shop, then you will probably see Millet somewhere on there. Um, huge contributor to research, um, actually worked at the Human uh, um, Performance Laboratory uh, with uh, Ben Onig in Calgary for four or five years, which I'm gonna ask him about a little bit, now back in France. And uh, yeah, very excited to bring him to you. So I think, let me check my crib sheet. I haven't left anything out, which I needed to. Bum, 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 bum. No, we're all good. All from memory, didn't have to look there once tonight. I'm getting good at this after 50 goes. Um, so there you go. Yeah, so without further ado, uh, sit tight. Feel free to ask questions as and when. We can both see it down the side there. 
So um, my guest is always is welcome to say, oh, there's a good question there from so-and-so. So let those questions come, people, if you're watching it live. Uh, but now I shall bring up uh, Dr. Guillaume here. Well, good evening. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Fine. We're multilingual here. I do it in Spanish. <laughs> I'm thinking about doing it in French with you, but I don't know much more than Bonsoir. So, um, and work. happy birthday, then. Oh, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. Um, I, I was thinking we, we can have the same sponsor, apparently. Well, I didn't want to draw attention to that. But looking back at your photos, which I've done, I have kind of like um, had a look all through your past. Generally, there seems to be a beard there most of the time, isn't there? Has it always been a bit of facial hair? Was that kind of your look when you were running across mountains? And yeah, yeah, it's been a long time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have your because you've got uh, two children. Do you say 18, yeah. 16, Yeah. Have they seen Sorry. you without a beard? Sorry. Have they ever seen you clean shaven? Um, I can't remember exactly. Maybe not actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah maybe I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, but the. Yeah, that's been a long time for sure. My kids never have. And I love these videos of people who shave and then they say mm -hmm. hello to the baby and the baby cries. I can't mm -hmm. wait to do that. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Um, no, you're thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, my pleasure. I'm really honoured to have people of your calibre here. Uh, what part of France are you in again? I am near Lyon. So this is in Saint-Étienne. So it's uh, east, uh, not southeast, more east, uh, not too far from the Alps. Okay. And is that where you were born originally then or...? Uh, no, I was born very close to Switzerland, so French oh, right. border, French right, but uh, close to Geneva. Ah, okay. It's, uh, it's, it's called uh, the German Mountains, a very nice place for cross-country skiing, well-known for cross-country skiing. Ah, right. Is that what got you? Uh, is that what got you into it? Then did you witness that as a child and think I'd like yeah. to do that? Then was it really? Yeah, oh, fantastic. Wonderful. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a sec. Let me just ask first of all, because um, obviously it followed on from Dr. Nig um, last week. How did you end up? going from France to Canada? How did that happen? It's a good question. I'm not too sure. I guess at some point I wanted to have an experience, an international experience. Um, and I I wanted a, a very good lab, and which is obviously the case with HPL, but I didn't want to go anywhere, like in the UK, for instance. Just, just kidding. But uh, <laughs> I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted a nice place for the family and a very good lab, and there are not that many places. Uh, Salt Lake City could have been a, uh, a nice place, but Calgary was was fantastic. So yeah, I, I, and they they just uh, had a position. I applied and I got the job. The job. So it's uh, as easy as that. Fantastic. Um, but uh, the plan has never been to to stay there forever. Uh, I wanted to go for a couple of years, and I was so happy there that we uh, extended a little bit. And then I wanted to stay a bit more, uh, but my wife was a bit homesick, so we we got back. It was a fantastic experience. People are very nice, excellent scientists, and it's a, it's a top faculty. Uh, so, yeah. And you went over there already as an established researcher in the field of fatigue, didn't you? Because you went over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There in 2013. So I was already 40 something. Oh, yeah. So that, I guess they were very pleased to see you there as well. I hope so. Yeah. It was very nice. And then um, you came back, and now you've got big things happening for you as well, haven't you, in France? You're heading a team there. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit anxious, to be honest, because the funding situation in Canada in general, uh, and especially in our domain, is, is much better than in France. Uh, but then I, I got very lucky to, uh, to receive a huge grant uh, when I got back. 
and um, and some time protected research as well. So very good condition to set up a new lab. And I have many many uh, PhD student postdocs, so no complaint. And this is the I'm glad there's a, an acronym for it. It's the Interuniversity Laboratory of Human Movement Biology. Easier yeah, said, LIBM. Yeah. LIBM. Yeah. It's so, uh, not as big as the, the HPL, but it's still uh, quite a big lab. It's uh, so what you have on the screen. It's uh, is only the the facilities we have in Saint Etienne, but the, the lab is also in two other universities, which are Chambéry and Lyon. So overall, it's uh, 110 people, uh, and it's uh, medical doctors, uh, PhD engineers, postdocs, staff, uh, of course, PhD students. Uh, so yeah, quite a big lab um, working in biomechanics, physiology, um, neuroscience, etc. Um, yeah, so life sciences in general would like to, to exercise and health and performance, of course. So your the studies into into fatigue, which we'll talk about more later on, that's only part of what's happening at the LIBM, is it? You're looking at much more than just it, fatigue. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, it's not. Mm. Yeah. I wish everyone works on fatigue, but unfortunately, <laughs> it's not the case. <laughs> but there are quite a few. Like my, my group uh, working on fatigue is, is quite large, uh, but it, of course, there are like not 110 people are working on fatigue. They will, right. they will, they will in the future. Before we go on, and I'm itching to talk about it because I need the runners who are in the room here. We've got, um, let's just bring this up, the running community. Um, welcome all. We are talking about training fatigue in ultra trail running. Please, please do ask any questions you wish. No questions is silly. Very good. Thanks for reminding you that the running community. Um, but yeah, for the runners out there who I can understand, and this is part of our challenge, they're like, bah, research. My friend in the club, he's a great runner, so I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to buy his shoes. It's something which is part of the problem for runners, I think. Um, they find the research maybe intimidating, maybe boring, um, but this is what this is all about. So it always helps, doesn't it, when the person who writes the research happens to be a little bit of a champion themselves. So uh, yeah, tell me about this photo and tell me a bit about your history of uh, endurance running, Gee, if you could. Yeah, so, well, champion obviously is wrong. I've never been a champion. I've been a runner for sure, a neutral runner, well, actually an endurance uh, athlete, I guess, for more than 30 or 35 years. Um, not a champion, I, the UTMB. So this picture is of the UTMB. Uh, so beginning of the night, as you can see, um, uh, before uh, Col du Bonhomme, I guess. This is at the bottom of Col du Bonhomme, after the Contamine, if I remember well. Um, and um, yeah, so as you can see, uh, ultra running makes you smart, as you can see from <laughs> my face. <laughs> no, I guess I was, uh, I was super motivated. It was uh, uh, actually this year, I think it was my fifth UTMB, uh, and that's definitely not, not the best. I was, uh, we were actually uh, doing a study at the same time, I was, I was in charge of this study, and the, the stress associated with the study also was probably in the, the best shape of my life. I ended up, uh, I, I finished because I was a subject for the study, but uh, not uh, as good as I was expecting. Because again, that was probably my best years in, in terms of uh, what I should have done. Uh, and in the end, this is not only about physical capacities, I guess. It's tricky. Um, whenever you see, go to a web page, it seems that every single race out there, endurance race, is the most difficult foot race in the world. They all seem to call themselves that. But the UTMB is pretty special, isn't it? It has got a reputation as being one of the most challenging ones. Why is that? Is it? It's not just the disc. Obviously, it's over 100 miles. It's just over 100. Is it 106 or something? Or 800 miles. 
Yeah, 160k. What else about uh, it makes it so, in terms of endurance, so challenging? I don't think this is the most difficult race. It is the probably the most known race in, in the world, probably now. Uh, and I think the reason it's so well known is that it's, uh, and, and from, from the beginning actually, so first edition was 2003, uh, it was, I guess, the, the right place, uh, the right time organized by the right person. And that, that's my, my uh, interpretation. Uh, and from the beginning, it, it has been huge. Uh, I did the second one, not, not, not the very first one. And I, when I did it, I was like, okay, this is going to be something special. This is going to be different. And I, yeah, I was right. And it was visible from the, the second edition. And uh, of course, uh, because this is around the Mont Blanc, this is also part of the success, I guess. This is such a nice place in Chamonix and around the Mont Blanc. There's quite a lot of elevation there as well, isn't it? It's yeah, around 10,000 meters, uh, which is pretty normal, I guess. This is an average elevation. Yeah, of course, this is <laughs> you, have to, you, have to, you have to climb, but I mean, for the distance, uh, I mean, the, the backlay is much much higher than elevation than that. And there are other races and the, the te technicity actually of the trail is not that bad. Oh, yeah. uh, and if you look at the, the time of the winners, uh, 20 hours, this is uh, pretty fast. Uh, of course, it's not as fast as the Western states or mm. because there is much less denivellation. Uh, but uh, compared to other races, like uh, in France, there is a famous one in, in La Réunion, island of La Réunion. So people are, are much slower. I mean, the, the winners are much slower because the, the technicity. So denivellation is the same, but the technicity is, uh, is, is higher. So it's more difficult, the, the trails themselves. So I've read, I'm sure I've read that like 45% or something of the people who enter don't finish. Is that because it's so popular, a lot of people enter who shouldn't be entering or? No, because you need to, to be qualified for that. So if you, if you don't, uh, if you cannot show experience, uh, so you need to get points and to get points, you need to run uh, long races. So you cannot not, when I was running, it was different, but now you cannot run the UTMB uh, without uh, being an experienced uh, traveler. But even the people who start, even the people who start it, I think only 50% actually finish. No, no, no. This is much, it, it depends on the weather conditions mainly. Okay. But yeah, it's yeah. Uh, much less than that. I, I believe it's around 30%. Oh, is it? All right. Gosh. Okay. Right. Well, uh, and I don't know whether particularly the runners in here heard, but you've, you haven't just done it. You've placed in the top six three times, is it? Correct. Yeah. But it was at the very beginning, so oh, I was stopping so modest. Oh my guess. <laughs> no, 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 this is just uh, this is just <laughs> a filter. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that I did it uh, in 2000 something because now it would just be impossible. The, the level is much higher than it was, but still, yeah, it was. Uh, I was happy with that for sure. Alan, can you tell me you're a runner and you love your running? Just tell me if you're impressed. Were you three times in the top six? UTMB I think it's pretty good and you can bring me up um fantastic right um so obviously details of this and your history available in your website I just want to pick up quickly um the name's pretty cool as well the main the name means more to me but because I'm getting involved with the Spanish um physiotherapist departments in Chile etc then I know that particularly in South America um physiotherapist is known as kinesiologo um or some people tell me it's a slightly different branch to physiotherapy. But anyway, your website is kinesiology. So I can see what you've done there. Very mm -hmm. clear. Um, but yeah, so um, if people um, are familiar with Guy or uh, want to get familiar, then I mean, that is a um, fantastic website. I've had a good look through there. It's quite new, isn't it? What prompted you to set up what's kind of quite a personal website after all these years? 
Um, I've been thinking about it for many years, but I didn't find the time. And I know I was lucky enough to, to have an assistant, very, very nice assistant, very good. And she helped me a lot uh, creating this website. Yeah, basically, she, she did the job. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and during the lockdown, I mean, that was a, a way to, to keep her busy, I guess. Um, and, and I think that that's important not only to to introduce myself and show myself to the world, uh, but even for, uh, I think, can be important to get uh, grants. Uh, because people, if they want to know more about you, uh, having a website, I think, can be a plus. So that's the main reason why I did it. And who is it directed towards? Who do you think will get something from it? Is it for therapists as well as runners or people who already run or want to get into running? Or who do you think? Who do you send towards them? Uh, well, scientists will get all the, the my publications, uh, so the academic uh, part, my trainees, etc. Uh, but for runners uh, or even uh, patients interested in fatigue, like cancer patients, etc., I'll try also to, to get more uh, like general uh, things. Uh, for instance, there is the, the media uh, section, and there are quite a few uh, videos. So the, the website is in English only. Uh, there are quite a few videos, some are in French, but some, some are in English. For instance, there is a very nice video from uh, about, uh, 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 it's a film that uh, Dutch TV has done uh, on our UTMB experiment last year. So if you want to know about uh, fatigue and what we were doing at the UTMB, uh, there is a 30 or 40 minutes video uh, on, on the website in English. So there we go. Now I've had a good look around it a few times now, obviously since knowing you're coming the show, and it's, no, it's a lovely looking website. I did think you'd done it yourself. I'm slightly less impressed with you now because it does look really nice. But now you've said, yeah, it's a very good job. So you can commend the person who did it. It looks really, really good. Oh, well. <laughs> um, so yeah, recommend that people if you're um, uh, looking for information, then yeah, definitely have a look at that. So um, you've also written a few books. Let's bring these up as well. I'm just conscious that because you've only just joined Twitter, haven't you? I feel yes. already that not enough people know about you. Yeah, it went with the, with the website. I was very reluctant for many years. I was hesitating and, and then I decided to go. And actually, it was a good surprise. I thought it would be a, uh, not as good as it is. I learned already a few things. I got already a few things on Twitter and I didn't expect that. So I should have done that before. I think I remember um dr nig saying to me he was felt a little bit disappointed because he'd heard it was really controversial he thought people were going to argue he thought, <laughs> you know? and i was like i think that was maybe 10 years ago or something people are a little bit more yeah reserved now unless you type in capitals or it's funny because we went on twitter the same week with Beno and yes. without telling uh, anything to each other so it, it was kind of funny was that a coincidence was it sorry was that a coincidence that you both appeared on twitter at the same time or did you uh, both think yeah, yeah, it was a few books you've had in your past. Obviously, there's the one which is how to succeed at uh, UMTB, uh, which is available in English and French, um, which is cool. Um, and there still seem to be looking around at various articles I've seen about the races. Um, I think even on the race organization website itself, it still recommends these books for people who are looking um, for uh technical guides and things like that um and you've also written let's have a look this one here let's just bring this up so people can see it properly on the screen actually if i put it up yeah i'll put it up a bit uh when was this one written i haven't looked into this one ultra trail uh, that's just in french isn't it, it yeah unfortunately it's in french only yeah 
that's okay. A lot of English people speak French. They just don't like the French to know about it. We've always got this <laughs> relationship where, um, but yeah, that's in French. And then you've also got um, these two. I'm dying to ask you about this one. La forme, or I don't even know what it means. Um, what's this one about? La yeah, forme. so it's uh, fit, basically fitness, as you can see from the from the picture. Um, yeah. Is that running inspired as well, or is that just in general? No, no, it's just uh, um, health and sports and physical oh. activity. Like very, very basic book for public. And then you've got the skiing one, which I want to talk to you yeah, about. That was the very first one. Oh, was it? Yeah, and so a yeah. long time ago, like 95, something like that. 19, no, 98. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. But people check them out, especially if you speak French um, or you want to learn French. Right. We've got through. I just want to make sure that people out there know who you are. And now people have got no excuses but to um, have a look. Um, and you're putting out some great stuff on Twitter as well, some um, interviews and papers, and you're really becoming quite rapidly a great source, somebody to follow. Um, Thank you. So, yeah, it's good stuff. I would recommend people follow you. Um, right, so we are talking today, obviously, about um, fatigue, particularly in ultra trail runners. Um, I think I heard you on another podcast when I, um, in the past where it's like we could have a whole hour just talking about what is fatigue. I thought that was such a great comment. Um, it is a very tricky subject. There's so many, it's so very complex and so many other factors. So we, I've, I've organized way too many questions for you tonight. But um, I thought we'd start off because it is about ultra trail running and I have been pushing you in all the different ultra trail running clubs. What, um, when's the trail become an ultra trail? Because as far as I can see, some people, the biggest mistake they make is thinking, I'm going to do an ultra, I've just got to run a trail a bit farther. And that's and that's what they think. But there's quite a difference, isn't there? It's quite a big step to move into ultra trail, isn't it? Yeah, well, there is no, I don't think there is any, uh, there is more than one definition, I think, for ultra trail. Uh, it's the same thing as ultra marathon, it is just one step uh, further than, than uh, 42.195 kilometers. Uh, I, I don't think so. Some people are saying, okay, if you, you start running ultra when you are running more than six hours. So that's, uh, that's the definition. Don't ask me why six hours, but as in, this is a definition that has been popularized uh, quite a few times on papers, um, maybe including us, I can't remember. Uh, but I, I think um, there is no definition of ultra uh, endurance. It, it really depends on, 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 on you uh, and your, your fitness level. Um, if like, for, and even for me, I think the definition of a neutral for me now is not the same as 10 years ago when I was running neutral. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, now running uh, 20K is almost a neutral, and it was just a warm-up 10 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. So it really depends on, on the person, I guess. So when do you think, When is, is it a distance thing when the training really has to start changing? I mean, for example, I always say between half, I say that pretty much there's lots of people who can just do a half marathon. You don't particularly have to train, train for it. You don't have to change your life that much, depending on who you are. But for most people, if you're going to run the 26.2, you're going to have to change your life. You're going to have to get your sleep, get your food. So I make that distinction between a half and a full. When does it kind of start changing for people who are going to do an ultra when they've got to actually make some changes to the training they've done previously? Um, actually, I don't think there is so many differences between running trails and running ultra trails. And again, depends on the definition of ultra trails. But let's, because we we cannot say uh, always uh, there is no definition, blah, blah, blah. So let's say it's uh, above uh, 100 kilometers on, on, on trail. Okay, so this is, let's say this is, uh, this is ultra. We can take also the, the yeah, ITRA definition. But anyway, so let's, let's put the, the barrier here. 
Um, uh, and I think the training is basically the same, uh, and except that for HR, of course, you need to, to train a little bit more. And I think one of the main difference is that for ultra, you need to, in my opinion, and this is something I've proposed many years ago, you need to, to do what I call shock weekends. Uh, I, I, we, we can go back to that in details uh, later if you, if you like, but this is basically the idea of, uh, so most of it, like 90% of the time, uh, if you're a neutral trail runner, you're going to do the same training as trail runners, uh, including uh, trying to do interval training, uh, strength training, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, but that, then at some point you have to do those very specific training sessions that I call shock weekend, because this is the only way you can really be in specific conditions uh, compared to, yeah, this is exactly the, the point. I've got the diagram here. Again, people listening on the podcast, you're not going to have the benefit of the diagram, but you might want to check out YouTube because you've brought it up now. So I'm just going to, yeah, tell us about some of the factors on this diagram, because it's a very important thing, isn't it? This is the difference between when you are going to go into ultras, the way you train for them. I'm going to yeah. put it on those. Yeah, talk away. Yeah, so when I said uh, this is the only way you can retrain in specific conditions, this is uh, about all the, the things that there is uh, there are on the, on the slide. So, for instance, your equipment. Of course, if you want to know if the, the shoes or your backpack is are appropriate, uh, you cannot only test them on two or three hours. You have to test them for uh, many, many hours to make sure that they, they, they work well. Uh, same thing for nutritional strategy. Uh, if you run two, three hours, five hours, uh, basically you can eat anything, you, you'll be fine. But then when you start to to, uh, to run for 10, 15, 20, 30 hours, then uh, nutrition becomes a real problem. So you need to make sure that you know exactly what you are doing, what type of food works for you, what type of food uh, doesn't work for you. So this is very important. And of course, you can test that during competition, during real future trials, but you are not going to run a competition every day. So testing during shock weekend is, is, is very important. So you have, even if you do only two or three weekends like that uh, before the race, I think it makes a, a huge difference. Same thing about technique. Um, you, if you, if you only do, if your long runs are two hours, you, basically run all the time, except if the uphill is super steep. But in ultras, you are not going to run very often, actually. You are going to walk a lot. And if you don't do uh, shock weekends, uh, wh when do you learn or when do you train uh, walking? Uh, never. So you really need to do that for that reason. Uh, another good example is uh, you need to make sure that your muscle fibers are resistant enough to muscle damage. You know, when you run downhill, eccentric exercise, most people know that it induces uh, muscle damage. Um, of course, you can do strength training, you can do eccentric training, you can do specific downhill training, so it works. But the best way to do it is to be in, in the real situation. So to run downhill at the, the right speed, so slow speed, but that's enough. And for, for uh, 5,000 meters overall uh, downhill running, 6,000, 7,000 during the weekend. So of course, this is... This is tough and you need to you need to recover uh, but again this is the only way to be very specific to your competition there seems to be i mean i know quite a few elites um in ultra who um kind of do obviously weekend camps in in Menorca or something and they offer these camps i suppose if you're going to do a short weekend is that the time where you do go and get help from somebody who knows what they're talking about and train you properly and try and go somewhere where it's got similar conditions to where you're going to be running 
yeah if you if you can do that that's if you have a, if you, it's a good way to to get experience from someone else uh, and it's also uh, of course much more fun if you than than doing that uh, yourself this is actually probably the, the best souvenir that i have from my car career uh, is uh, those shock weekends i mean when we are going especially if you can go for instance if you are registered to the tour du mont blanc or to your etmb you go there and you do the tour du mont blanc in two days or three days and that's a short weekend and uh, and that's uh, that that's fantastic you stay at the hotel or mountain hotel in the night and it's uh, it's just perfect yeah and that's a huge part isn't it of i think although running is famously something you do by yourself and it's just you against you i think the longer the distance get the more social it becomes the more the bond you form with your fellow athletes and everyone seems yeah. to be so chilled out and and i've spoken with champions like i was over in I had the good fortune of being at the ultra mirage not running it i was just doing media and i was driving around in a jeep following the athletes but i spoke to rashid el morati and elizabeth barnes and sonia and all of these and, and bushra and they're all such chilled out calm people yeah. is that a co i think i asked the same question to alex hutchinson when he is a guest is it a coincidence that these long distance runners are so calm and seem so collected and at peace no, I I don't think it's a coincidence. If if you run like crazy, I don't think you you cannot go very far. You can go fast, but you cannot you cannot go far. And you need to you need to go far when you're neutral, obviously. And uh, and actually, yeah, I agree with you. It's almost like a, uh, the contrary to what most people would say that uh, if you are a neutral runner, you're necessarily someone lonely. I don't want to talk to anybody, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think this is actually the opposite. Uh, people they really really enjoy running with other other runners, including during the race. I know many people who have met actually during a race and and stayed friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is uh, this is this is very nice because you have time actually. If you do a 10k, of course this is so intense that you cannot even talk. Uh, and it's uh, and even if you can talk, this is so short that there is no way you can know the the other people. And in ultra, you can not only you have of course. Uh, all the time, but then the intensity is so low that you can you can talk for many many hours sometimes with the, with the, and you can stay sometimes with the same guy for many hours. You can if he's running out of water, you can give him water or the other around, etc. etc. So in the end, uh, the the opponent is not the enemy. It's actually uh, it helps you to to get a better performance. So it's it's quite different compared to shorter distances, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a great answer. Yeah, it's very true. Um, we've got questions coming in already. We will get onto the different factors of fatigue, but Alan's come up with a question. Alan Strock, who's part of the running community, um, and he asks, I want to run, this is probably quite a common question for people out there. I want to run ultras um, the furthest in the future. The furthest I've run is 15 miles. What's the best way for me to increase distance and stay strong? Um, where are we? Oh, yeah, stay strong enough to complete the distances required so yeah if someone's making that break basically i'm sure you've been asked this for a few times it's in your books but when you want to get past kind of marathon distance into ultras how should you change your training well first before you do that i guess it is important that you you really want to do it and i guess this is the case for uh, it's you don't you should not do it because this is uh uh how, how can i say that um, because if you don't do ultra, you're not uh, a serious runner. You, you really need to, to 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 want to do that. I think it's important. Um, and not everyone will enjoy ultra. I think if you're if you're a fast runner, you don't like walking. 
you're actually you're a runner, <laughs> you're not a walker. And uh, some people actually don't like ultra. They they try it and and then they, they go back because this is not for them. But uh, maybe it's I guess uh, this is not the, the case of Alan. Um, uh, so how do you increase the distance? You need to make sure that the day you want to go uh, further, you want to do ultra, you you are in the good conditions to do that. By good conditions, I mean you can train enough. Even so, as I said, I don't think there is a huge difference between a trail runner and an ultra trail runner in terms of uh, amounts of, of volume of training that you have to do to, to finish a race like the UTMB, for instance. I don't think you need to train 30 hours a week uh, to, to complete the UTMB. Uh, and actually, I, I, I believe the opposite. You can, you can redo the UTMB with, let's say, 8, 10 hours a week of uh, running plus the short weekend. That, that's my opinion. For, for most people, it will work. Uh, if you can train more, Fine, but uh, this is not absolutely necessary. Um, so yeah, um, so by good condition, it means that you can train a bit more than maybe what you are doing right now and also recover uh, well. Because most people, I mean, not most people, but if you if you have a, like a, a very intense job and uh, four children and uh, so a super busy life, uh, then you can still do it, but it's it's more difficult. Um, you have to be very well organized. It's possible. I mean, when I was running ultras, my job was quite uh, uh, time consuming. I had kids, not four, but still two kids. Uh, but so it's it's possible. But you, you need to be very well organized, and and you can forget about uh, uh, TV, internet, etc., restaurants, etc. Basically, your social social life. Uh, so you need basically you need to make sure that you're your life is is okay so that you can you are in the, in the good condition to to run your trial. Otherwise, you may get uh, fatigue or overtrain and it won't work. So if you're in those good condition, then I think anybody can run the UTMB, and I, I truly mean it. I mean anybody. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sold. It's interesting. There's some more questions coming in, which I'm going to try and tie in with the subject of fatigue. Because, for example, I've got a question from Terry. Um, Terry's saying um, he's asking about the risks to health, heart health, when you start running these distances, which I think ties in quite nicely with like how do they compare the actual? Because we know it's associated with oh, it's going to be so tiring, you're going to feel devastated, it's really difficult. But there's that old expression of an ultra is kind of 90% mental and the rest is in your head. Are the physical demands and the dangers to the body in terms of physically that much more for an ultra or does it become, as the research maybe suggests, that it is getting that mind prepared? Okay, so I think there are two different questions here. Probably uh, or three. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's take uh, Terry's question first. Uh, is it basically is it dangerous for your heart or in general? Mm. Is, it, is it good for your for your body? Is it uh, is it healthy to run your trial? Um, I understand the concern, obviously, and uh, of course this is the first time I, I hear that. Uh, I've heard that many many times actually, uh, maybe too many, uh, because what people tend to forget is that okay, it's. Uh, People are like, okay, so running a marathon is already difficult. So now you're talking about running four marathons in a row, plus the elevation. It's like uh, climbing the Mount Everest and, and going down. So this is, this is crazy. It cannot be healthy. They just forget that uh, the intensity is not the same at all. So it's not a matter, only a matter of distance. It's also a matter of intensity. And then if you say, okay, you can say this is four marathons in a row, 
you can also say this is basically hiking. Okay, a bit faster than a normal hiking, but you don't have to carry a heavy load. So your super lights with good uh, light shoes, etc., the poles, and you're still walking. So in the end, yeah, it, it takes time. Uh, but if you do the Tour du Mont Blanc in, in five days or seven days, you're going to, okay, you're, you're just a bit faster. Uh, and you don't sleep, which may be a problem, but I don't think it's going to ruin your, 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 your health. So there is no real evidence that actually ultra is, is, is bad for health. It, it, I, I guess this is not ultra per se. Uh, this is the way some people run ultras. Uh, of course, if you run too many ultras, you don't take the time to recover. You never do a break during the year, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you're not, you're not in good condition as I was mentioning before, like you cannot, you cannot recover properly. The stress is too high in your life. In the end, yeah, you can, you, you can be uh, overtrained and this is, Maybe in the end, this is not good for you. But if you if you are reasonable, uh, I believe, and there are many examples of uh, ultra runners that who have been running ultras for many many years and are still healthy, and I'm pretty sure they they are going to be healthy when they get old. So there is no proof, and for the herd, this is this is the same thing. I, I don't think you can say again this is this is super long, but the the heart rate is 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 quite low. So. And actually, the few experiments that we and others have run uh, show that actually there is there is less uh, uh, fatigue than in in marathon or Ironman triathlon, which are shorter than the UTMB, for instance. Um, okay, so so that was one question. Now, if you want, I can talk about your question, Matt. <laughs> yeah, that, that probably hope that answers you, Terry. Yeah, it's a very important point yes it's further distance but it's not just about how far you're going it's about the intense intensity you're applying through yeah and um, what other questions did i manage to get in there so the question about uh, everything is in is in the, the head oh yes yeah, yeah yeah about yeah preparing for it is it just more physical demand or is it about training yeah, yeah. so obviously this is both and this is both in relationship i mean the as you know you cannot run cannot make a single step if you don't have a brain uh, because the, the, you need a nervous system to, to contract your muscle and everyone knows that. But this is also true in the, the other around. You have uh, sensors everywhere in the muscle, in the joints, etc., that tell the brain how you are feeling. Um, and so, yeah, this is really both. Uh, and of course, if you are, of course, the mental aspects is, is important. For instance, if you, uh, in terms of, uh, giving up or not giving up uh, in the end yeah you have to be strong for that because there are many times you just want to, to stop running and, and do something else uh, but in terms of uh, of performance no this is definitively the the last word is uh, uh, to the brain but the brain doesn't decide alone he decides based on what he feels and the body tells him what he has to feel and so the there are Nociceptors, of course, that tells you um, how you are feeling, and if you are not well trained. So this is why uh, this is not only in the in the head. Obviously, if you are not well trained and you start to get muscle damage, inflammation, uh, etc., uh, then of course you are going to uh, you are in trouble much faster than if you are well prepared for the race. It's always tricky. It's like when you get a patient who's suffering from pain you try to you want to kind of explain pain a little bit but not end up with that 
giving them that impression it's all in your head so it's similar with this isn't it we're kind of saying that to do an ultra yeah it's all to do with mental preparation not all of it but a lot of it is but you don't want the runner to think oh great so i can do it tomorrow i just got to think you can do it you can do it so how i suppose the well, maybe i know the answer but if you're training for a long long distance how do you get that psychological preparation uh, most people don't do any preparation it's like months of preparation for that uh it's it's uh only for the pros and and, and even for them my own most of them they just don't have any uh mental preparation they they have the strength some of them have a strength and conditioning coach or just a coach but uh, and maybe the coach uh, helps a little bit but most of the time they they didn't work on that they don't work on, on that at all um yeah so and i think this is underestimated because there is a lot to to gain out of it i'm, I'm convinced about that i i've tried at the the end of my uh, when, when i was running at the end of my career again i, I tried to to do that uh but it was only it was only a try i didn't push enough and uh, i know i'm convinced that it was a mistake and uh, most people are reluctant to to uh, to not, for instance, to not do a running session and and work and do a mental uh, training session, and I think it's a mistake. Sometimes it would be a better idea to to do a mental uh, training session. And what because do you mean by mental training? training? Well, tr working on on the your ability to, for instance, to to ignore pain. So there are techniques for that, like mental imagery, uh, positive talking. Uh, Afghan walking, that kind of, of techniques. I'm not an expert, so I'm a physiologist, but uh, I, I recognize that this is super important. And, and yeah, people have a lot to gain from, from that kind of techniques. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm, my prediction is that this will, this will come in the near future. It, it is already coming. And, but in Ultra, um, well, most people, they don't have a, a coach at all. So that's, that's part of the, of the problem. Talking about fatigue in the head, I think one thing is important to mention, even so it's more on the science side, is that if you run an ultra like the UTMB, you have what uh, we call a huge central fatigue. So central fatigue obviously is related to what is happening in your brain, actually not in the brain, in the central nervous system in general. And the definition, or our definition of central fatigue, because central fatigue can be different things, but uh, our definition of central fatigue is your inability to actually fully drive your muscles. So you try to contract maximally your muscle. And if you're at rest, let's say before the race, you contract maximally. And then what we use is we use a, either magnetic stimulation to the brain to help the muscle to contract or electrical stimulation to the nerve. So we superimpose the stimulation to the maximal contraction. And at rest, we don't see anything, basically. So you are able to fully recruit your muscle fibers or your, your motor units, as we call them. Uh, but after the race, it's a different story. So of course you get fatigue and our definition of fatigue is that you, you, are, you have a strength loss. Uh, and you tend to say, okay, this is normal because you have muscle damage. So it's normal that you get weaker, right? But the problem, not the problem, the, the reality is that this is true. The muscle is affected, obviously, but actually the, the, the greatest part of the fatigue is, is the central one, is, is, is due to your inability to contract your muscle, which is, it can be seen as a way to protect yourself. So when we do again our electrical stimulation, so after the race, when we ask the people to contract maximally and we superimpose the stimulation, we are able to, to gain force and, and not to feel like a lot. Uh, so sometimes they, there is like a 20, 30% reduction in your 
uh, ability to, to fully drive the muscle. So this is quite interesting. But this is different to what is happening during the race. This is really because you need to contract maximally. But still, this, this shows that something is happening within the, the brain. Mm -hmm. And I suppose it explains, I mean, we've got so many examples of where you're, oh, no, I've got to check this with you because it's not quite the same as rate of, uh, sorry, perceived exertion isn't that slightly different, but we've got examples of where you think you can't go on and then you see the finish line and suddenly you're sprinting over or yes, how okay. athletes only collapse at the end of the race. They don't normally collapse during. So it's kind of, there's obviously factors going on there which aren't just to do with physical thresholds as it were. Yeah, so that's the reason why I actually uh, decided uh, in 2011 to, to publish a new model, which is based on the, on the uh, central governor from, from Nox, but I think it's uh, it's uh, more appropriate, particularly to, to ultra distance. And yeah, this is this is based on that. So basically the idea is that, uh, I don't know if you have the, the picture, is that... Uh, it's the flush model, yeah? Yeah, the flush model, yeah, exactly. Uh, so the the amount of water in the tank is your what you just said the RP rating of perceived exertion, and what you want to do is to minimize the amount of water that you have uh, in in the tank. And you have in the model you also have this security reserve, and the, of course the most of the time, and to not say of course it never happens that you die from running. So it means that this security reserve, and it's like it's like a, a flush. You usually you um, it, it works well, meaning that uh, it doesn't uh, overflow. I think this is the correct word. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so you don't die from from running, meaning that the security reserve uh, works well. But the, if you want to improve performance, what you need to do is to minimize the amount of water. And for that, there are many uh, things that we can do. First, of course, the obvious one is to train, because if you train well, it means that you are going to, for a given speed, you are going to, to receive, for instance, less feedback from your from your legs. If, you, if your muscle fibers are more resistant, then you will get less inflammation, and these nociceptive fibers I was talking about, they will fire less, and you will feel better. And if you, same thing, so this is what we call the feedback mechanisms uh, from the periphery to the, to the central nervous system. And there is also what we call the feed forward mechanism. And this is still related to, to your muscle fatigue because if you, basically if you fatigue your muscle and you want to run at the same speed, you need to recruit additional muscle fibers because the first ones are of fatigue. So you need to recruit additional muscle fibers to, to run at the same speed. And if, so it means there is more um, action potential going out of your brain. And there is what we call a correlate discharge to the sensory cortex. And you, this is one of the reasons why you feel when you're fatigued, giving, giving, running at the same speed, you feel it's harder, right? Mm -hmm. So this is training is obviously important, but nutrition, we have the same nutrition. Of course, if you have a proper nutrition, your RP will be lower, so the level of water in the tank will be lower. But uh, the, the flush model is nice because, for instance, it shows you that you have to start with uh, an empty tank. Mm -hmm. And you must say, yeah, this is obvious at the beginning of a race, the tank is empty, but not necessarily. Because, for instance, there are studies showing that uh, if you haven't slept well, or if you have some issues in your life, or uh, uh, some cognitive load, basically, uh, the week before, the day before the race, uh, actually, the you have already some, some water in the tank. There is a very nice study from Marcora, for instance, showing that if you, 
if you do, I don't know if you've heard, if you've heard about this, uh, this study, if you do a, a mental calculation, like an intense mental calculation task before doing a cycling exercise, when you jump on the bike after the mental calculation, your LP is actually already higher than if you haven't, if you have just uh, watched a, a movie, right? And then of course, if you start with a higher LP and then when you start to run or if you start to cycle, then they both increase at the same time and at some point you stop, and if you start lower, you you cycle or you run longer, you you do a better performance. So I have many examples, but this is uh, it shows that in the end, what matters is the brain and uh, basically the RPE. Yeah, because like yeah, you, you decide to stop when you feel like I have enough, and uh, yeah, if I want, if I go too far, then I'm in danger, and usually we don't do that, even if we're super motivated, because of course the more motivated you are the smaller the security reserve is. Mm. But, uh, and if you take drugs, and this is this is the issue with, with drugs, and it can be both an excitant, central nervous system excitant, excitant or, or a painkillers. In both cases, you put yourself in danger because you minimize the security reserve to a point that at some point you're in danger. And of course, it's, uh, it's never recommended, but it's probably less recommended in ultra running. Very good. Oh, there's so much in there, which, yeah, sorry, there. It was <laughs> that's great. That was the gold answer. There's like this is why I have to watch these shows back. But yeah, it's a lovely model. It's it's interesting. I can understand some people are used to the idea of you've got to have a full tank, as in the idea of fuel and petrol. So we're kind of turning that around. Where in terms of resources, you've got to keep that water level down as low as possible, so it's not pushing up to your maximum. But it's interesting. And, like and, and the, motor, the motor preparation, I think I talked about that uh, at the beginning uh, because we were talking about that preparation. Of course, it helps also to minimize. If you do a good job, like positive talking, that kind of thing, it helps. So it's not only about physiology. It helps to, to minimize the, the, the level of water. Uh, and that's why I needed to, at some point, I was like, okay, I'm doing neuromuscular fatigue study research. Okay, this is. I hope this is uh, this is important. But uh, as a runner, I'm not satisfied with that because it definitely it cannot explain everything. So I need a more comprehensive, integrative model. Uh, that's why I and I, I was, of course, I, I thought it was funny that it was a, a flush. <laughs> of course, it's a human chance to always. No, it's great, and I like the fact. I suppose experience is a big thing because you've got blisters and things like that. If any shock yeah. to the body or the nervous system that's not used to is going to raise alarm. So if you've trained and run through blisters and you're not your body's not gonna get shocked by it or if you have to walk and your body's used to walking then again so it's like everything isn't it the training is paramount putting yourself into that yeah. situation to give you experiences there great very nice um, um analogy for runners to take away probably for any distance race it doesn't have to be an ultra it's um, um it would work i suppose in any distance um Fantastic. Let's have a little look down here because the questions are coming in um, fast and furious. Um, Sarah, I think, well, you're getting your tips, aren't you, Sarah? You've got your first two-day ultra, 30 miles each day in April. Uh, fantastic. Congratulations to you. Um, Sarah, leave some comments whether you've thought about the mental preparation or how on race day you're not going to surprise your body with anything. Have you thought about things like the nutrition strategy or um, what happens if you do get a blister or something or be interested to see if you've prepared for any of these things already or whether anything is, is new for you um, and you haven't prepared for it um, so, so i guess uh, the tip is short weekends yes yes the short weekends as well have you done any of them sarah that'd be interesting to know uh, where is this 
Alps you don't say, do you? Is it in your, I suppose it's probably in the UK, isn't it? Not many people are traveling around the world at the moment, obviously. <laughs> but where are you doing it? Have you been there? Do you, are you used to the terrain? Have you run on the terrain? Um, she says an ultra, yeah. So interesting. Come back, Sarah. Let's know more about that. Um, so and this is one of the good points about the short weekend is that you can also train. You can. It's it's okay to travel a bit because you travel for something. Like it's not to, to run an hour. So you go there for two days or three days. So it's good that you can train on the terrain that that looks like the the terrain you will get uh, you will have uh, during your ultra. So for instance, if you if you are doing uh, like a very technical ultra then it's better to, to, to train on, on technical trail. If it's less technical, then it doesn't matter. Fantastic, yeah, great advice. Right, um, Guy, I've got a question here from, from the head of the running community. So this is an important answer here. You've got to satisfy. I can have no, it depends, or I can't answer that. Okay, just make something up. Okay, so Mark Burrows, um, creator and founder of the running community says, uh, Dr. Guillaume, you can tell it's gonna be important now, on my long runs that go past 16 miles and onwards, I do seem to have a lot of salt on my skin afterwards where I've been sweating more so the face. I have tried numerous electrolyte tablets. Is there anything else you recommend for this that I could practice with in my training? Uh, I recommend that you don't take any salt. Uh, you, you don't need that. Just just normal food, that's, that's enough. Even if you are running ultras in, in the heat, uh, I think it's a mistake to take a huge amount of salt. If the, maybe the, the thing you can do is to, to get, uh, and, and this is actually a good thing for ultra running, is to get salty food, but uh, not salt per se. Um, but that's more than enough for sure. So don't worry about that. It's not an issue at all. I suppose it depends again. It's going to be individual. Some people are going to sweat more than others and leave. Which is a good thing. If you sweat a lot. Uh, yeah, the opposite is worse for you. Is it, Mark, is it a problem for you in terms of you're just wondering why have I got this film of salt on me? Or is it, do you have kind of symptoms which you which are kind of slowing you down or causing some kind of discomfort? So if it's not bothering you, then don't worry about it, but yeah. No, there is nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, yeah, good question there, Mark. Hope that answers you. If you need to come back with something else and stick something in the comments. Um, Let's just check down here on the side. Terry, Terry, Tara. Hello, Tara. Let's put your wave up there on the screen. Thanks for joining us. Um, I've got a question here from Guillermo Mata. Here we go. Some studies suggested that an even pacing is the best strategy to succeed. Okay, so this is really good. But in my view, this is not how it works in the real world. How important do you think pacing is during ultra endurance events? Let's see if we can link that with fatigue as well. I know, yeah, you tell me, is pacing something that helps keep the nervous system relaxed, that consistency, or does it always work that way? Um, I guess, uh, no, I, uh, and he knows what he's talking I, I know the guy, and he knows what he's oh, talking yeah. about. He's a scientist. Actually, we published together. Uh, oh. I, have to be, I have to be honest. But uh, I promise I didn't know that he will ask a question. On that. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, hi, we are. Uh, by the way, um, no pacing is important, uh, and and it's true that an even pacing seems to be, uh, as he said from from science at least, uh, seems to be the the best strategy. And usually the best runners uh, have a more even pacing strategy, and the, the females actually also science shows that the females also have a best uh, a better even uh, pacing strategy, uh, which I think. One of the good thing about uh, being a female is that uh, uh, it helps uh, to to run a long distance. I guess um, the, the 
Yeah, the, the problem is that if you start too fast, is that, um, uh, and I, I've seen people, uh, when I say too fast, it, it's, it's really too fast. Like people above the second ventilator rate threshold in the first 10K of the UTMB, I've seen that they couldn't even talk. So this is, and this is, I don't, if, I don't know if it's very common, but this is quite common. And if you do that, of course, you are going to, to start uh, at this high intensity to use lots of glycogen at, at the very beginning. Uh, if you do the same thing in downhill because you cannot pace yourself, then of course we know that uh, running intensity downhill is very important for muscle damage, etc., etc. So if you do that, you're basically you're dead. Um, so that's probably one of the reasons why it's it's, it's important to to not start too fast. Um, uh, from a psychological point of view, I guess there are pros and cons. If you start too fast and then people start to catch you, I guess this is not good. But at the same time, I've seen people, I guess this is only for the for the elites, that uh, I remember one UTMB, uh, the guy was leading the race and he was not uh, not supposed to be one of the best, I guess he was good, but uh, one of, not one of the best. But he started super fast and then he was so, and he was from the, from Chamonix. And he was so excited, so motivated that in the end, of course, he didn't win the race, but he placed, uh, I think he placed third. And I think he wouldn't have done that uh, with a more even pacing. So the psychological aspect, there could be pros and cons, I guess. Mm. I think I remember reading, I think it was in one of Matt Fitzgerald's books where he mentioned he went over, in one of the times he went over to train with Kenyans and that. And um, in Kenya, this idea of starting off just relaxed and at a special pace kind of goes out the window they kind of just start off and go for it like they're all champions and because they're all doing it together they kind of maintain something that they wouldn't be able to maintain otherwise and whether this is one of the things which helps Kenyan runners kind of exceed and do well I don't know but they're definitely the whole idea with we're very strict over here often about pacing and calculating and not going over that in a particular race and he suggests that maybe that can hold sometimes runners back um, and that you should go more by feel. But like you say, you can't trust yourself, can you, at the beginning of a race? You think you're running properly, but actually you're running much faster and you don't know about it. So, um, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, during how much during an ultra do some runners actually have to have a look at their watch and check they're not running too fast? Or is it something that some runners have to be really conscious of? Or um... I'm not too sure. I used to do that for sure. I actually used to, to set up my... Uh, my alarm on my heart rate uh, monitor mm. to make sure that I wasn't running too fast and you only have to do that uh, during the first 20-30 uh, k's because after that uh, fatigue already uh, appears and you tend to to reduce the pace anyway but this is those first 30 k I think they are they are important and if you're too excited especially if you do a race like the UTMB or another big race and there is public and uh, you feel like you're super excited you've been training for that for for many months and now you are like, okay now i'm ready i'm gonna show you guys what i can do uh, and then this is where the, this, is, this is risky i mean people tend to encourage you and uh, and if there is the, the family etc uh, there is definitely a risk that you go to you start too fast yeah definitely uh, mark Burrows has come back with he was just basically worried that uh, this this is the salt guy um he was worried that the amount of salt on him meant he was not fueling something correctly and that he felt fine it wasn't like linked with excessive fatigue or anything he was just a bit surprised looking at it some, some people are thinking that this may induce uh, cramps and uh, we know that this is not the case this is not related mm. to that good question mark i'm sure you're not alone i'm sure other people would have the same reaction if they saw this on them regularly 
Um, yeah. Uh, Guillaume has replied. It says, perfect. Thank you very much for the interesting answer. Wow. How much are you paying him? He's really... <laughs> That's a great question. Thanks, Guillaume. That's wonderful. Um, Sarah Jones is coming back about what she's running. Uh, where was it? She is running in Scotland. Um, she says, to be honest, it's completely new. This will be the longest one I've ever done. The Ultra Torva ran in Scotland. She's used to doing OCRs, obstacle course races, and winging it. So I'm approaching this a bit more methodically. She's stubborn. That's probably why most. No, don't say that. It's very sexist. No. Uh, she's stubborn, which is, will go a long way, but I'll definitely look at the shock weekends. I think the nutrition will be a challenge to see what works for me yet. Testing out nutrition. So you can test. You can test your nutrition during those shock weekends. Oh, yeah. You have you have to try that before you do your race for sure. And even if you do, a, as I said, if you do two or three, that's that's enough to to make a difference in my opinion. We're tough. Time is um, ticking on. Are you still okay to talk for another ten minutes or so? I am good. You sure. I'd like to. I want to definitely want to fit in that subject of women because that fits in nicely with Sarah. There does seem to be. A certain success amongst middle-aged women and endurance running. Um, I don't know whether it's a become a bit of a confirmation bias, but there are does seem to be more races now where women are beating the men um, or coming second or third. I've had the pleasure of traveling around with Elizabeth Barnes, and in the in the Ultima Mirage, she came third out of the whole pack. Um, mm -hmm. With the and, and Rashid Amorabati was first, obviously, and her husband was second. Um, but she was third and left all the other people. So is there something in the research which shows, like you've already kind of mentioned, maybe a predetermined um, benefit for um, being female with endurance running? Yeah, so this is um, a very interesting topic uh, and very hot topic actually at the moment because of uh, actually the, the names that you mentioned and, and there are many other, uh, yeah, many other names I think we can say. Like uh, one famous one in UK, I guess, was uh, Jasmine Paris as well. Exactly. Um, and, and in the US or in Europe, uh, for instance, I remember the first CCC, which is the half uh, UTMB. Uh, there were, uh, I think, 1,000 uh, people at the start, and a woman named Corinne Favre won, won the race. So, yeah, it's not, uh, there are more than one example for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, uh, this is still anecdotal evidence. And so this is obviously not enough. This is important, and uh, because there are not that many actually races or not many sports or even, and I don't think there is actually any, uh, any other, except if we uh, talk about uh, sailing or maybe uh, horse riding or that. But of course, this is different. When you talk about a, a sport where physical capacities are, are important, uh, it never happens. Uh, almost never happens. And in ultra, this is still rare. We have to be honest, but it happens much more than you know, in other disciplines. Um, okay, so the question is, uh, are they stronger or faster than men? Uh, definitely not. And in my opinion, they will never be uh, because they have two uh, major uh, problems uh, with running uh, females, which is uh, body, uh, body fat. And we know that uh, even 10% body fat uh, above uh, men. This is not a lot of weight, but this is definitely an issue and a big issue. And so the skinniest female will never be as skinny as the skinniest men for sure. Uh, and the second problem is the VO2 max. I mean, the VO2 max, including for ultra endurance, maybe a little bit less, uh, but still, even for ultra endurance uh, running, VO2 max is very important. And because they have less uh, red blood cells, their VO2 max is lower than men. And those two factors, uh, 
explain why they will never beat, in average, they will never beat men, they will never outrun men. Uh, not, there are, okay, so for sure, in average, they will never run faster. Now the question is, what happens when the distance increases? Are they still at the same, uh, I mean, the difference between men and women, is it still the same? Is it reducing, is it, redu is it uh, increasing? Um, the, for sure, it's not increasing. I mean, they are as capable as men to run ultra distance, if not more. That this is this is the very important, the first very important point. Now, that, so the question is: uh, Does the difference stay the same, or is it actually reduced? Uh, and for that question, uh, there are depending how you uh, look at the problem, uh, you can have one version or the other. Um, for instance, if you if you look at the just the performance, like the record or the, the average time or average performance, uh, depending how you look at that, like if you take the first 10 men, the first 10 women, or if you take everyone, uh, then the outcome is, is different. Uh, there are studies that have tried to match, for instance, so let's say we take uh, men and women uh, with the same time on the marathon and we ask them to do half marathon and an ultra. And we see if the difference stays the same or if again, if it changes. And for those studies, two are showing that when you increase the distance, the different difference tends to, to, to be uh, lower. And another study shows the opposite. So even for that, it, it's balanced. Uh, that being said, there are certainly some, if we think in terms of uh, physiology, uh, as I said, uh, there are uh, different uh, factors that tend to show, or we tend to believe that it can be helpful for women in neutrals. Uh, the first one is they have a, a higher percentage of uh, type 1 fibers, uh, which are resistant, fatigue-resistant uh, muscle fibers. Um, they tend to save glycogen. This is, I think, the point I mentioned earlier. Uh, so for a, at a given intensity, they, they save glycogen because they use more fat. So this is, this is also something uh, very good. Um, they may be, we are not too sure about that, but a bit more resistant to, to muscle fatigue and, and muscle damage. And again, there is some controversy in the literature, whether we look at animal models or human models. So <laughs> uh, anyway, so there are always uh, pros and cons, but for sure, one thing we can say uh, is that they are not uh, less capable uh, as men to, to run ultra. So it, for sure, it doesn't explain why they are so few females running ultras, because actually this is this is a big issue. And I know this is not the question, but still this is my answer. <laughs> because, because at the UTMB, for instance, do you know uh, what is the, the percentage of females at the start? If you don't know, try I'd to like guess. To think, I'd like to think it's growing, but I still imagine it's 10, 15, probably, yeah, definitely less than 15% something. Yes, exactly. Yeah, is so it growing it is, there? Is no, well, yeah. I guess depending on the race, but for the UTMB, yeah. no. It was like that in 2005, and 15 years after, we are still at uh, 10%. So this is ridiculously uh, low, for sure. And so the reason is definitely not physiology. So there must be something else, and this is not my job to tell what, but this is, I guess the answer is this is uh, sociological reasons or maybe psychological reasons, but definitely not uh, physiology. So, but it's uh, it's a it's a very interesting uh, very interesting topic. Uh, we we showed the, and yeah, another, maybe another point on that. I think it's it's quite interesting is that 
we showed in 2012 that uh, at the end of the UTMB, when you match males and females in terms of level of performance, meaning like they are the same percentage of the first men and the first woman, uh, respectively, uh, women are less fatigued. I mean, the, the particular the muscle fatigue is lower in women. So it was quite intriguing. So we repeated in 2019, we repeated in so last year at the UTMB the, the study. And we this time we didn't only test ultra, but we tested also um, shorter distances. And our hypothesis was that um, the longer the distance and the, the lower the fatigue uh, in the females compared to the males. And actually we didn't find that. We, we found that uh, uh, for 40 to 170K, the females were tended to be less fatigued at the end of the race. But being less fatigued is still different. Sorry, this is, this is complex, but this is not my fault. This is just variety. But, and again, this is uh, not playing with the words. I think it's important to say that being less fatigued, it's not the same thing as being more fatigue resistant, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, and what I'm, the reason I'm saying that is that this year we also uh, did a kind of a survey or a questionnaire when we asked basically, okay, are you doing that for competition? Or are you doing that for fun? And we asked the same question to males and females, and there was a significant difference in the sense that you can imagine. So the female they tended to be less competitive. So we can imagine that one of the reasons they are less fatigued is that they they push less. So it's not necessarily that they were more fatigue resistant. Even so, there are physiological reasons why they could be fatigue resist, more fatigue resistance, like the higher percentage in type 1 fibers. But the, the mood, the way they were running the race was also different. So this is, and you, you cannot ignore that. This is, this is very important. Well, this is what I'm kind of interested in. Like you've mentioned physiological, like peripheral fatigue and that, but what about the whole central fatigue? Is there potentially a difference in no, that, how? There were no differences in terms of central fatigue. No? It was it was mainly at the muscle level. Right. So we can't say that because women are better at being stubborn and more mental drive and putting up and then well, more again, be careful. Central fatigue, the way I describe it, measuring with this electrical stimulation. Yeah. So central fatigue uh, measuring in, in our lab is different than what is happening in terms of uh, yeah, during during the race. So it's right. different than yeah. the central command during the race. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, that would... they, are, they are pain resistant for sure. Uh, it's just, it's not a matter of being less uh, pain resistant, I think. And uh, I don't think we have any uh, solid uh, evidence that they are more or less pain resistant compared to males. Yeah. Uh, but some of them, I've seen females at least pushing extremely hard and being in, in like super fatigue at the end of, of the race. Um, but it's so, no, what I'm talking about is different is that the, the way you do the race, uh, it's not that you cannot do more. It's just like, no, maybe I'm not, I don't need that basically. Right, okay. I don't need to show to the world that I can push hard. I just want to finish the race and I'm, I'm happy with that when you, and even if someone, uh, overpassed me that that's okay. I don't mind. If you're a man, that's a different story. Maybe mm -hmm. we are just, I guess we are just more stupid than they are. Oh, that there's no doubt. Living proof of that. Very interesting. It's um, uh, it's gone so quickly. I think it's gone quicker than any other episode that I've ever um, had the pleasure of hosting. Um, let me just check in my crib sheet. We've actually been through quite a lot of the questions which I wanted to talk about. So it hasn't been 
yeah we haven't strayed as much as i thought um i'm just gonna have a quick check in the comments here there was one got time for one more as it's mark as well um okay keeping it brief because i'm conscious you've got to get away um heart rate training does it depend on the individual is it something you particularly are interested in and making sure the person is training at the right intensity or do you prefer going by perceived exertion or does it depend uh you can use heart rate if you if you like um i guess this is a question of yeah personal feeling if you if you like that if you are if you like to to watch your uh your yeah your heart rate monitor all the time this is this is fine i, I have nothing about that one i guess one of the reason i was running ultras and ultra trails in particular that i didn't want to look at that and i just wanted to enjoy the mountains so i actually uh almost never uh where we are the heart rate monitors it was just uh, me and myself so no feeling feeling was for me at least it was the it was the best uh, option but i have nothing against that and it works if you have a coach and if you can do uh tests in the lab to, to know your threshold blah 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 this is totally fine and it and it works i the, the only uh, time i used that was as i explained at the beginning of the, the races to make sure that i didn't stop too fast other than that i usually didn't use that but again just personal preference i think it depends so much on the individual because some people try and stick to the theoretical zones which are supposed to be in according to you and it just doesn't work you you, you don't fit into the norm i think i find that a problem sometimes with recommending athletes heart training you have I mean, to see whether it works for you there are, there are limitations for sure with heart rate as for other types of uh, mm. training or way to to assess or control your training but it basically it works yeah cool okay good question mark right Guy, i've got to let you go i'm sure you've got other things to be cracking on with you're an hour after us so what is it 20 past 10 in france that's okay past nine here, yeah it's uh it's very exciting to talk about uh, trust why so i can talk the whole night if you like <laughs> no i admire the way as well i really like the way someone of your obvious intelligence and experience in working in this is able to put in a language that runners can understand and that's so that not everyone can do that so that's um, i really appreciate that um it'll be really useful for people who listen to this hopefully on the podcast as well it's not just bunch at live is not just for therapists um it's definitely for runners as well let's um finish up then basically on what uh, yeah what have you got in store then Guy, for the rest of the year or is it a little bit unpredictable because of covid or um yeah we had of course to change gears uh, as uh, most scientists i guess uh, for instance we uh, so i'm only talking about the the stuff related to running because of course we have our work and actually uh, most of our work is on uh, clinical fatigue like cancer multiple sclerosis etc and actually covid uh, covid patients because we know that uh, fatigue is a, is a big issue in, in covid anyway so for, uh, on running we started actually a, a study uh with one of my phd students where we wanted to to, to track uh trail runners uh and have some of them coming regularly like four times in the lab to be tested uh, and uh, the rest of them were just uh, assessed with the uh, questionnaires etc uh training load and we wanted to, to examine what is happening during the the season and um because of the covid of course this is not a normal trail running season so we had to to cancel that, but we still use the data to see the effect of uh, lockdown on on fitness, fatigue, uh, sleep, etc., etc. So this is something that we are going to publish. We 
so the, the papers uh, that are coming, we have all the papers from the UTMB, so you can expect uh, at least, uh, uh, I would say, seven or eight papers uh, in, the, in the near future. Some of them have been submitted. Some of them have been rejected already, but uh, it will get published <laughs> at some point. Uh, so on running economy, the effect of running economy, the sex differences, obviously, as I said, the effect of distance uh, on, on um, blood parameters, on uh, strength, uh, etc. So we have many papers on stiffness, uh, tendon and muscle stiffness, uh, biomechanics, etc. So we have many papers coming out of this uh, UTMB 2019 study. And we also have uh, a work in progress with the, the French Athletic Federation where we try to, to compare, uh, we didn't assess the, the classic aerobic capacities, we were more focused on the neuromuscular function actually. So energy cost, running biomechanics, force velocity profile, uh, and we compared elites, so the, the best French runners uh, with uh, recreational runners. Uh, we compare men and women, and we compare trail runners versus marathon runners. And there are, I cannot, of course, uh, tell too much about that, but I can tell you that there are some interesting stuff uh, that hopefully we will publish in the future. Um, it's, it's, hopefully it's quite interesting for, even for the, like for the, for the runners, not only for the scientists. Um, you'll, you'll, you'll tell me. Amazing. And if people want to keep up to date with these sort of things, then the, the website is um, the place to be, is it? All this information gets updated. Yeah, and, and Twitter as well. And Twitter as well. Yeah, Twitter, you're putting out some great stuff on Twitter. So there you have it, people. Yeah, um, kinesiology.com, yeah. also on Twitter, um, which is just, um, yeah, at kinesiology. kinesiology. Um, yeah, definitely follow it. And I would recommend it for runners as definitely therapists, but also runners as well, if you like to get your geek on and be up to date, because you do need to be to a certain extent. Um, unless you've got a therapist you can guarantee is giving you the research and that's not always the case as we often talk about here on Munchat Live but yeah um, brilliant thank you so much um, Guy um, thank you um, a real pleasure and a real honor to have someone of your history and continued presence in research on the show so thank you so much for that um, what I'm going to do is just put you back down into the lobby if you do need to go then you can go don't why no regrets we'll talk later on but if you want to hang around then i'll come down in a couple of minutes and say thank you to you and talk to you a bit more but if you need to go then go right. thank you again matt thank you, you bye very bye. much thank you very bye much bye everyone thanks for attending hi what a great guy i love it in 50 episodes i still haven't had any well i suppose i choose the guests but i still haven't had one guest who hasn't just been totally so modest and so uh, it's amazing i love it um what great information. I wasn't sure whether tonight was going to be super technical or whether it was going to be. And I honestly, I try and bend it in the direction of who the audience are. And tonight was more of a running related questions and people are interested. So we went more that way. And that's what we do in One Chat Live. If it's an audience full of therapists, then we get a bit more technical and we talk more about the kind of clinical application of the knowledge and stuff like that. So it was lovely to see a lot of runners in tonight. Um, if you do want to steer the conversation yourself, then the only way you can do it is actually come along to the live show and the recording and then so if you want it more clinical and more therapy related then you have to come along and diet it that way but whoever comes we shall serve that's the idea um, and talking about um, information then i'll just have a quick mention of um, i did say at the beginning um bunch at live conference as you know now is all online just as well because the uk is finally the government's finally decided we're going to do what the rest of the world's doing and limit meetings i don't know if you want to know what's going to happen in the uk just follow the rest of the world and then 
a week later the UK will do it. I don't know what it's all about. We still think that we're the empire that controls the world. And we have to do everything second. I don't know. You can see I'm not a big fan of our government. But it turns out now that obviously meetings of six or more aren't allowed. So that would have made the Runchat Live conference uh, impossible anyway. So, um, but it is all going to be online and it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be live. Um, I'm conscious that a lot of conferences at the moment just come across as presentation, silence, bit of lift music, and then suddenly another presentation, silence. I'm going to be online with you from 8.45 in the morning till 5.45 at night. I'm not going anywhere. If I'm going to the loo, I'll stick up a gone to the loo back in two minutes sign on the screen. I want to be there. We're going to have guests coming in between the presentations talking. Um, and um, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be live. So if you can get two days off from work, especially if you're a therapist, then do it. Um, join us for lunch. We're going to have lunch for an hour and a half and have people coming and talking and chatting. So um, that's the idea. Um, I'm very excited. The more I talk about it being online now, the less I'm grieving about the fact that we're not going to be able to kind of be there together in person, which is what the reason for the conference was. Um, so if you haven't got your tickets yet, then um, it's October 29th, October 30th. And what I'm doing because of the birthday celebrations, um, then I am going to give away a code or two codes for 50 percent discount so obviously that means you get it for half price and all you've got to do basically is share any of the posts i've put on facebook or instagram or twitter or linkedin um and um yeah just share it and copy in two of your friends and copy in me at one chat live and then next week um my next guest next week alice sanvito i'm very excited about is going to do kind of like pick a number I'll have all the people in the, here and I'll pick out two and you'll get a 50% code. So obviously it's for people who want to come along to the conference and maybe I'm trying to help people who are umming and eyeing because they can't afford it. This is your chance now. Put some posts out there. You can do it as many times as you want on different streams and your name will go into the bowl and two people will be getting a code with a 50% discount. Is that fair enough? Um, and that's uh, to celebrate um, two years and uh, 50 episodes. Um, like I say, next week's guest, Alice Sanvita. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited for every single guest I have. I love my job. It's not a job. It's a hobby. I don't get any money for it. It's just a pleasure to have the people of this caliber up. Um, Alice Sanvita is a speaker at this year's conference online. Um, last year, there was, why haven't you got a massage therapist? There were some interesting debates between physios and massage therapists in the audience last year. And rightfully, they said to me, Matt, you had 10 speakers, you had osteopaths, chiropractors, massage therapists, why didn't you have a massage therapist? I said, next year, I'll be getting you a massage therapist. And boy, have I got you a massage therapist. Alice is um, a fantastic, experienced massage therapist, but she's really on the ball. She's evolved like all good massage therapists has, and she is going to be talking about putting the evidence back into massage therapy, particularly, obviously, for runners. Um, uh, on social media, she's already quite famous in the circles for her hashtag shit that massage therapists say, um, which kind of sums up um, her approach in your face. But a fantastic resource if you're trying to move with the times and get better results for your patients instead of saying I'm going to undo this um, this this uh, scar tissue in your hamstring with my elbow stuff like that which we all learned but we have to move on you can't undo uh, scar tissue with your hands ask a surgeon that and they'll laugh at you because they need to use a scalpel so yes Alice is a brilliant brilliant um, person to be talking about that she's gonna be here next week uh, same time same place eight o'clock UK time. She's me talking from uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, really looking forward to that. So there we go. Right. Wow. Nine hours, uh, one hour, 28 minutes. Um, thanks for staying with me. Thanks for joining us live. Thanks for listening on the podcast. As always, if you can subscribe to the YouTube channel 
Um, Apple Podcasts, I haven't mentioned that for a while, but it makes a big difference in terms of our ranking and, and getting the message out there. So if you can leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, that is much appreciated. Thank you once again to my guest, um, Guillaume Millet. Fantastic hour. I'm, I can't wait to listen back to it again. There are some real gems there. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, same time, same place, for episode 51 of Run Chat Live. Thank you and take care of each other. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.